0: So welcome, everybody. Welcome to Gay City Vineyard. Welcome to all our friends that are online. Thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, Pastor Beth is is traveling, visiting uh, with family uh, this weekend. and so we just uh, just pray for their their fun with family and that uh, they get the rest that they need as they travel and that also that they would be brought back safely. Home to us because we love them so much. We just want to have them, you know, back with us. Uh, my name is George Ling. I'm one of the elders here. For all of you who don't know me, there's a couple new faces out there. I'm one of the elders here, and I just love it when they ask me to come up, and speak and teach what God lays on my heart. Uh, as you know, we're on, we're in a current series called Back on Track. You see the slide there. This series is walking us through the Old Testament, tracing the steps of who are called the minor prophets. If you want to bring up that next slide, here's our schedule of some of the folks we'll be we'll be looking at as we march through, kind of chug along through this series. Uh, last week, Pastor Beth brought us the words and teachings of the prophet Malachi, and she addressed for us four key relationships, which Malachi stressed through his Um, writings to to get ourselves back on track one was with God you know our relationship with God is really important and it can get off track and we want that to stay on track with our spouse Lord knows we want that one to stay on track if we want peace we need that Uh, with our neighbor we want peace with our neighbor and we see that sadly today with Hamas and Israel they got to get that thing back on track and then with our money so if you missed this message you can always go online and listen to those things uh listen to these messages it was very good as pastor beth is always very good we can learn a a great deal as we go through this on getting the help we need to get ourselves back on track and and get ourselves in in that emotional space so that we can move forward in a more godly and pleasant way now as all of you are craning your necks in this direction uh you know we know that this projector is not working uh, we have had someone come out and look at it, and, you know, they they are in the process of, of getting fixed, so they'll be coming back this week. So, you know, pray over that thing, that that gets fixed so people don't have to keep craning their necks in that direction. So if, go to the next slide. There's a timeline. So Pastor Beth started us off at the end of the book, you know, at the end of these guys. She started us off with Malachi, so I'm going to jump us all the way back to the front of the line and talk about jonah this morning so how many of you guys know the story of jonah raise your hand it's a pretty popular story we hear it a lot a lot of times if we grew up in the church we hear it in sunday school we maybe do a great craft with a big fish and and you know just really have fun with this story but this is a, a very interesting story as it has a lot of fantastic elements and as we listen to this this account of Jonah let's, let's hold the mirror up to ourselves as we kind of look at the life of this prophet let's kind of look at ourselves and see how Jonah might reflect at us in our faith walk today next slide these are some of the things that I hope that we'll see as we look at this book. God loves all of his people. God is a God that pursues us. God is after our heart. And God is relentlessly compassionate. So hopefully these are some things you're going to see as we get, get through the book of Jonah. The account of Jonah, like I said, is it's a very spectacular one. Most of us probably know it. We've heard it. But there's some nuances this time around that I kind of discovered as I was reading through it again. There's only four chapters. They're very short. It's a very simple read. But I don't I don't know how I miss these things the first time around. Maybe I'm getting older and my heart's changing a little bit and I'm becoming a little more smart. There's a lot of a lot of scholarly debate about the veracity of this story of this account because of the fantastical elements involved. A large fish, storms, a guy running, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you look at and you go, can this really be true? We have a prophet, Jonah, son of Amittai, and I have to believe that the inclusion of a genealogy telling us whose son it was had a purpose. The purpose was to show us that, hey, this guy had a father and that he's a real person. So we gotta take that into account as we consider is this a real story or is this a fable? Well, I have to have to admit that telling us that this man had a father and that there's a real life here shows me that this maybe is something that really happened. There's a mention of a prophet in 2 Kings. Guess what his name was? Uh-huh. And guess who he was the son of? Amittai, who we discover in a little bit as I get to talking, this is a real person. He's been mentioned in other places, so this is a a real person. We have a great storm at sea, and Jonah falls asleep. Where have we heard about someone falling asleep during a great storm? And the fishermen and the sailors wake him up. We have a big fish that swallows Jonah, so big that he swallows up Jonah And is able to keep him safe for three days and three nights. That's pretty fantastical. Jeremiah 32, 17 says this. Ah, sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Jesus also references the account of Jonah. So if there's any credible source at all... In the world, then the one that we follow has to be pretty credible, right? In Matthew 12, 38-41, it says, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answers them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, So will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented as the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Wow. I mean, that's Jesus talking. So we got to give that some, some credibility, right? So it's a biblical account of a prophet. It's fascinating because this book, these four chapters, really deal with the prophet. A lot of times when we read the prophets, they're giving messages. They're giving They're giving correction. They're bringing a message to someone else. But in this particular book, we're really learning about the prophet himself primarily. There is a message and there is a people that he goes to. But we really look at the prophet. And he's sent to... A pagan enemy nation to deliver the word from God. Many of the other prophets are taking the word to their own people, to the leaders and to the religious leaders of their own nation. So a lot of times it's going to a king or going to the religious leaders to bring forth the message to get back on track. But but the prophet Jonah, he's going to a pagan nation. And he's trying to give them a word from God. And so we'll see that even in the Old Testament... God's heart was for all people and all nations. You know, we kind of tend to put that on Jesus and the New Testament, but even as far back as the Old Testament and some of the stories and accounts, we see that God's heart was for all people. Psalm 86, 810 says this, Among the gods there is none like you, Lord. No deeds can compare with yours. All the nations you have made will come and worship before you, Lord. They will bring glory to your name, for you are great. And do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. A more well-known prophet Isaiah says this in Isaiah 56 7. Even those I will bring to my holy nation. Excuse me, holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar. For my house will be called a house of prayer for who? All peoples all peoples and dare I dare I say it's a house of prayer for Hamas all peoples for all the people in conflict right now it's a house of prayer for all peoples so let's set this up let's go through the book of Jonah I love this story (laughs) so the word of the Lord came to Jonah son of Amittai real person sounds like Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. So we have the prophet Jonah. He gets a call from the Lord. And he says, go. Give this message. Now, he's taking a message to Nineveh. That's tough. I mean, as we're seeing in the news today, it would be like God saying someone to go across the line and head into palestine and head over to hamas and say hey give these guys a word it'd be very similar to what we're seeing today but he says go and speak this word to these people that are so wicked they're very war driven they're idolaters there's a lot going on with these people that it's rising up and i just don't like it and i i want to get them back on track i want to send them a word and this place was vast. This was a vast city. It was known to be one of the biggest cities at the time. In fact, it was the biggest city for quite some time. Scripture says it would take three days to traverse this city on foot. Wow, that's a pretty big and broad place, isn't it? And it was very wealthy because it sat at a place of the Tigris River and the Korah River. And so there was a lot of... Uh, A lot of people passing through selling of goods and and a lot of moving through this city that caused it to be a city of great wealth and importance. But it was a wicked, wicked people. So he's going to send Jonah as his emissary to give them this warning. And Jonah received God's word and instruction. And he does this in verse 3. Put up the next slide. Come on. But Jonah ran away. He ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, he went on board and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. This dude, he ran. He ran good. It's like, I'm not only going to run, I'm going to jump ship. I'm going to jump on a ship. Because land ain't going to do it. I got to get on water and go far, far away. That's a bit unexpected, isn't it? You'd think the the man of God would be ready to do God's directive. He'd be ready to jump on board with God, but instead he's like, whoo, I'm out. And he turns and runs in the opposite direction as fast as he could. I mean, he basically gave God a big, nope, not me. I'm not doing this. Put up that map. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. In in lieu of walking 550 miles, he decides, I'm going to go 2,500. I'm getting as far away from this call as I can get. So let me ask you a question. Has there been a time in your Christian life that you felt God leading you in one direction and you outright said, "Uh uh-uh not going to do it or maybe you knew you had to serve love or associate with a group of people and you outright defied what you knew in your heart to be right wow this book of jonah is a little deeper than a little big old cutout of a fish with a little guy praying inside of it isn't it it's going to get pretty deep in a minute I mean, how many times have we sat in that missions meeting? Whoo, missionaries, love them. Go, missionaries. And they're talking about the, the fields being ripe for harvest. Whoo, and the workers are few. And, and you know that verse that says, here am I, send me. But we're sitting in our chairs going, oh, God, he's going to ask me to go to Africa. Don't send me to Africa, Lord. Don't send me anywhere I don't want to go. Don't send me over there where there's wars or famine. Don't send me to India. There's so many people in India. How many times have we done that? But here's Jonah. I'm out. So we also know in this time frame, the people of, of Jewish heritage, they were very nationalistic much as they still are today, they're very like closed in and and like we're a people. This is us and this God that we serve is only for us, right? So there's that thing going on in Jonah as well. The people were very nationalistic when it came to their God and their faith. They didn't really want a lot of other people coming under that umbrella. They kind of were like, "Eh, this is our God. This is our thing. They didn't want outsiders, Gentiles, heathens. And we see from Jonah's reaction, he was one of these guys, a prophet willing to disobey God because of his personal feelings and his traditions. But, you know, let me ask you, where are we? Where where are we when it comes to to us? Staying within our Christian culture bubble and maybe not as willing to, to have others not like us, come to know God. Being a little double-minded about, it, a little hesitant or uneasy about inviting others into what we have, it might might rock the boat a little bit, might jiggle the tracks. Being a little double-minded, a little hesitant, maybe that's why sometimes the outside culture takes a look inside our churches and they say, "I don't like those people because they're hypocritical." They teach one thing and believe and act a different way when it's not Sunday. This past weekend I had the opportunity to go see a Christian comedian, and most of the evening was pretty funny. I mean he was he was very funny. But something he continued to say didn't resonate well with me, and he said it over and over again. He basically said, I am saying these things Because y'all are thinking it, you're feeling it, but you're too afraid to say it for yourselves. In other words, there were things in your heart that I can say because you won't. Wow. I mean, that that was kind of a kind of a low blow when you think about it. But people thought that was funny. I don't find it funny that we're we can be a double minded people and be okay with it. Because isn't God supposed to be changing us from the inside out? You know, that that didn't resonate too well with me, and I didn't really think that was funny. Although the you know the majority of the night was very humorous, it, it made me stop and reflect, where am I? Where am I in this? So God didn't take too kindly to his prophet running away. And escaping from his responsibility, so we read in Jonah 1, 4 through 6, Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm rose up that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Man, he was, he was comfortable with himself. He'd gone below deck, went to sleep, and the captain went to him and he said, How can you sleep? The ship is getting torn apart. Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Have you ever encountered a time where you felt there was a storm in your life and you were sure it was from God? You know, sometimes we we like to uh, proclaim there's an enemy out there and he's out to get us. He's out to to kill, steal and destroy. And yes, that is true. But sometimes God comes to us to get us back on track before because of what we are doing, because of our involvement. God's compelling us to get back on track. You maybe tried to. To go and sleep soundly with the decisions you've made like Jonah did. Thinking it and acting like, oh, it's all good. It's all fine. This is all going to work out. Trying to act as normal as possible. But everyone around you knew something was up. Something is wrong with you. Something is not right. We got to get to the bottom of this. You know, I've had a lot of these moments just... Just like just like Jonah, I've had a lot of those moments where I tried to act like it was all good, but maybe I wasn't so good. But it wasn't me who called it out. It was other people like my lovely wife, Tricia, because she knows me the best. She can see these things and she can say, George, what's up? Something's not right. You're not acting the same. My friend Garrick used to do that with me all the time. George, you don't you seem off. What's going on? We try to act normal and kind of get through it. But sometimes God sends people to us when we are ignoring or having a hard time seeing for ourselves. Jonah reveals to these scared sailors that he's Hebrew and he follows the God, the creator of the heavens and the earth and the seas. And they and they plead with him to figure out what can be done to appease God and make the storm stop before the ship would be torn apart. In verses 11 and 12, he says the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So they ask him. This is an interesting question. Instead of what can we do, they say, what should we do to you? (laughs) They know the source of the problem. So what can we do to you to get this to stop? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Okay, this great storm. Okay. All right. Jonah. He's still a little off, isn't he? Because he says, just throw me overboard. Kill me. Like, I'd be like, send me back to the port. I got a mission that I got to do. I need to get back on track with God. Get me back to the, no. He's like, throw me overboard. Let the sea decide. Kill me. Get it over with. So he's so willing to continue running from God, he's willing to die for his conviction. Throw me overboard. Pretty desperate position for this man of God. He didn't offer up repentance, just continued running. If I die, I don't have to do what God asked me to do. I'm done. I'm out. So, have you ever found yourself in such a desperate place, caught between God and your own desires? Hmm. Have you ever been part of a group? Like he's part of this group with these sailors. And you found yourself to be the one that was stirring up waves. Hmm. You know, sometimes we're the problem. Were you ever willing to ride out your desperation even to your own destruction? And maybe it wasn't towards your destruction, but you were so immovable in your position that you were just going to hold fast to it. And verses 13 through 16 says, Instead, the men did their best to row back to land. They didn't want to kill him. They were trying their best to row back to land, but they couldn't, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, Please, Lord, do not let us die before taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, O Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah, threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. I mean, these sailors are trying to do everything in their power. Not to do what Jonah asked them to do. They tried rowing as hard as they could. They tried to make it back to land. They tried to make it to safety. But finally, they said, man, there's no getting out of this. We're going to have to throw him into the water. And when they did so... To their surprise, the storm ceases, the sea grows calm, and they are saved. And in verse 16, it says, They greatly feared the Lord, offered sacrifices, and made vows to him. They came to believe in Jonah's God, the one that he was running from. It's a bit of irony there. I mean, he he wasn't even trying to save them. He's just trying to keep running and, and end it all for himself. Get away from that which he's been tasked to do. And as Jonah sinks into the sea, he's swallowed up by a very large fish, one large enough that he would fit in it. And he would be in there for three days, three days to ponder his situation, three days to really see why am I here? It's kind of miraculous, actually. He gets swallowed up, and he's still alive, able to think through his thoughts and able to 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 work through what's going on. And the grace of God is represented by this large fish. He's been saved from the watery grave. And God's given him an opportunity to kind of reflect. So in in Jonah 2 verses 1 through 10, we have this wonderful prayer. In my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up on dry land. Man, how many times have I offered similar prayers, realizing that I've walked away from God Realizing my situation and and knowing that only God could touch the place that I was in. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. David offers a similar prayer in Psalm 139. Where he talks about, if I go to the depths, you are there. In answer to his prayer, the Lord causes a fish to vomit Jonah onto the dry land. Kind of nice, right? To be thrown up on. (laughs) Maybe it was a little indictment from God on how he was. He was a little soured on the prophet at the moment, but was giving him another opportunity. Because God is a God of many chances. Hallelujah. Jonah 3.1, we see that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Have you received second, third, fourth chances from God in your life? He's a gracious and compassionate God, isn't he? He's always looking to reconcile us back to him, to bring us back to to where he would like us to be, to bring us back on track. I'm so glad he's a God of many chances, as a lot of them have played out in my life. Verse four, Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city. So he's walking for a day and he's saying 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Hmm. That's quite the message. Very simple, straight to the point. Seems a little bit off, doesn't it? it? Does it feel like something's missing? Huh. Wait, if we go back and look. At verse nine, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. Forty more days, and Nineveh will be overthrown. Where's the salvation comes from the Lord part? He is still. Walking out, what, yes, what God told him to do, but he's still holding on to a little bit of that thing inside of himself that that was saying, you know what, I'm going to do it my way because I really don't like these people. So I'm going to give them, I'm going to give this message, and it's what the Lord gave me. So I'm giving that message. Nineveh will be overthrown in 40 days. Wow. That's quite the omission, right? To leave. God's heart out of it. Jonah verses... Chapter 3, verse 5 through 9. Interestingly enough, the Ninevites respond pretty quickly to the prophet's message. The Ninevites believed God, a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, they put on sackcloth. When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust... Will not perish. Repentance down to the livestock. Wow. They were taking it seriously. But it was kind of on them to figure out. That maybe. Maybe. This God will relent. It was on them. Not the prophet. Man. Jonah. 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 But they did well. In figuring out that God was a God of compassion. So God in his graciousness does relent. He doesn't destroy the people. This is pretty amazing. As a man of God, I would have believed that Jonah would have been like, wow! What a move of the spirit of the living God! An entire city, an entire people came to know the living God over Words he gave me to preach, and and he allowed me to be hands and feet, and and this is awesome. Ah. Wow. But let's look at Jonah, verse four I mean, chapter four, verse one. Jonah looked out at all of that and he said, This is wrong. This kind of ticks me off a little bit. This is not right. These people are horrible. They do not deserve the graciousness and forgiveness of God. They don't, they don't, they don't, they don't. So I'm going to climb up on this mountain. I'm going to look out over the city. And I know God's going to do what I want him to do. He's going to destroy this people yet. I know he will because they're terrible. They're horrible. He's got to come rain fire down on them. Please, God, what are you doing? Let me ask you this. Have you ever been angry about a move of God? (laughs) Have have you ever seen a move of God happen that made you go, oh, God, why did you do that? I have to be okay with it now because you did this. Oh, my goodness. Ah, Why did you make that person a Christian? Now I got to love them. Oh, my God. It was better when they were my boss, and I could just hate them. Ooh, they're so terrible. I can talk about them behind my back. I can do all that. Oh, do you know what my boss did today? What? You have a terrible boss. Yes, I know. And now you brought them into the family of God. Oh, my goodness gracious. What do we do? Oh. Oh, and he prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord? See, now, in the story, a lot of times we think he ran away because he was scared to go to the people, right? So these are some of the nuances that we get in this story. Jonah has correct theology and understanding of his God. He's not just some rogue prophet. He understands. He's a pretty smart guy. His his theology is dead on. He prayed the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That that is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take my life. For it's better for me to die than to live. What's going on? See, Jonah knew when God gave him the charge to go to Nineveh, he knew what was up. That crazy God, he's going to save these people. They're going to hear, they're going to hear the words and he's going to save them. And uh, wow, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God slow to anger, bounding in love. Just take my life. He knew a compassionate God would in the end be loving and compassionate. Who knew? And he did not like that. He knew what the end result would more than likely be. And in his anger and dislike of the Ninevites, that would not allow him to see the miracle that that it truly was. He served as God's voice. He changed the immediate course of a whole city. And for it, he'd rather be struck dead. Jonah had gone up to a hill overlooking the city, pouting and hoping that God would still strike it down. He wanted a good vantage point to view the upcoming destruction. But instead, this loving and compassionate God kept after Jonah. God continued to deal with Jonah's heart. In Jonah 4.4, the Lord says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? When was the last time you were angry with God? What did you bang on his chest about? For me, it was when my Nicaragua missions closed off. I was mad. I was angry. And did you hear what I said? When my Nicaragua missions closed and I wasn't able to get back and do the thing that I love doing the most. Trayendo la palabra de Dios en español a la cultura hispana. Mi corazón es muy grande para la gente. And I banged my, I took 20 minute breaks. I didn't used to take 20, you know, they give you 20 minute breaks for every so many hours of work, whatever. I didn't used to take my breaks at this job, but now that I was angry, I took every opportunity to yell at God. So I would take my 20 minutes. I would go out into the parking lot, and I would go, God, what are you doing to me? Are you putting a carrot in front of my nose that I could never get? Why are you closing this? up? Okay, back to work. Okay, when's my break? Okay, now. God what are you doing? I got to get back there. This is it was great. You were using me. You were giving me words. People were being saved. Demonic influences were being released and removed. You were coming in such power. And now I got to sit in this job every day and and I can't get back. Wow. That was pretty. That was pretty hot. I I would say that I felt a little bit like Jonah in some places. I felt betrayed. I felt that something was taken from me. But in reality, it was never mine. It's never mine. It's never mine. And, And just like this message wasn't Jonah's, it was God's. I was just a temporary partner for a couple of seasons. And a lot of times it's our own perception that's off track. It wasn't God sometimes we find it easier to be angry with him than it is to be angry about the things in our own heart. So he he gently gives us a means to get back on track. And it often involves us coming to a place of humility, doesn't it? The book of Jonah concludes with this little scenario playing out as God continues to speak concerning Jonah's heart in all of this. And if the band you know, would, would make its way back up. Verses 5 through 8 of of chapter 4, Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in his shade, and waited to see what would happen to the city. And Lord God provided a leafy plant, and it made it grow up over Jonah to give him shade for his head to ease his discomfort. Jonah was very happy about the little plant. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Man, this guy holds a grudge. (laughs) He holds it deep, and he holds it strong. I mean, but aren't, aren't we that way sometimes? Can't we hold on to things way more tightly than we should? I think one of the things I learned about my own experiences and and my own stuff is that I've learned to keep my hands like this so God can pour in and God can take out as freely and willingly as he desires. Nothing is mine. It's all his. And he has every right and privilege to move stuff from right to left, left to right, or to add new stuff or to take stuff away. He is the author of all things. I just get to be a partner.
1: Yeah.
0: God in his graciousness in, in verse 9 asks Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah's eyes are so fixed on, on his emotions and his thoughts and how things should have played out that he's missing a great miracle and victory. Have you ever been blind to a work of the Lord in your life or in the life of others because of your emotional state at the time Jonah continues his pity party and says I'm still so angry I wish I were dead rather than be excited for the role he played in God's amazing work he wants to die it's a pretty rather it's a pretty sad place for a man called by God yeah. verses 10-11 to 11 says this the Lord leaves Jonah with these last thoughts concerning the situation but the Lord said You have been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang over up overnight, and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than a hundred and twenty thousand people who cannot tell their right hand from their left? And also the many animals? See, in the grand scheme of things we find all of the non-Jews in this account. Found God, the sailors, an entire city, animals—they all found God. But the prophet, who knows Him better than any other, continues to miss what God has for him. We find a God who cares about the Ninevites. We find a God who, although He doesn't really need Jonah to finish His mission, He could have called someone else when Jonah, you know, ran away. He could have called anyone else to do do it in his stead. But this God, he knew that what Jonah needed was him. And he continued to pursue him. Hallelujah. He is a God that relentlessly pursues no matter how far we run. He's after us. There's nowhere Jonah can go that God can't find him. And the same is for us. He loves us so much that He's willing to traverse whatever distances we attempt to put between us and Him because of His great love and compassion for us. He knows what we need most is Him. Yeah. Now earlier in the first set of, of worship, there was a a word given to read a scripture, so I've, I've asked Joy to come up and, and read that. As we continue to place our our spirit and our thoughts into where God would have us be. Just take time now to quiet our hearts and listen for what the Lord is speaking to us.
1: The word of God is coming from Isaiah 43 one through 13. And it says, but now this is what the Lord says He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your state. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Lead out those who have eyes but are blind, who have ears but are deaf. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble, which of their gods foretold this and proclaimed this to us, the former things. Let them bring in their witnesses to prove they were right, so that others may hear and say, "Is it? Tr- it is true. You are my witnesses, declare the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. For me, no God was formed. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I even, I am the Lord, and apart from me, there is no savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed I, and not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declare the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from the, from ancient days, I am he. No one can deliver out of my hand. When I act, who can reverse it?
0: Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So as we enter back into a place of of worship, let's just let whatever the spirit of, of the living God wants to do, if he wants to keep you in a place where you're lifting Israel up, or if you're responding like Jonah, Lord, I, I, I know who you are and I, and I know who you've been in my life, but sometimes I just disregard a lot of that for my own feelings. Whatever it is that you wanna join the spirit's work in, just feel free to just either sit Stand with us and and worship. Just let your heart be